Welcome to r slash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across Reddit. Today's subreddit is r slash pro revenge, where OP gets cheated on and destroys the cheater's life. Our next Reddit post is from Calm Cauliflower. For context, in my country, if your package gets sent through the National Post Service, you're basically screwed. It takes 200 years, and they never actually deliver it. I don't know how it works for other countries, but here they're supposed to ring the doorbell if the package doesn't fit in the mailbox. And if you don't answer, they leave a notice and you have to go to pick it up all the way at the post office. The problem is that my mailman doesn't even try to deliver them. He just leaves a notice without even ringing the doorbell and leaves. I've had to go and pick up nearly every package that I've ever ordered because of this guy. Well, last time was my last straw. I was obviously home because of the pandemic, and suddenly I received a call that immediately hung up. It was so fast that my phone didn't even ring. It just showed up as a missed call. I got no doorbell, nothing. I suspected it was the mailman and ran to the door only to find him inside the truck, looking straight at me before driving off. Well, I was pissed and called the post office to file a complaint. I explained the situation, and the lady told me that I couldn't file a complaint because they're only instructed to ring the doorbell and calling is optional. And I couldn't prove that he didn't ring the doorbell. At first, I just avoided using them again at all costs, but the other day, I ordered something and chose a delivery company from the ones listed on the website. Apparently, that company hires the National Post Service to deliver to my address. When I found this out, I basically stalked the tracking info for days. Until one day, late at night, it said that it arrived in my country, which usually means that it's going to be delivered the next day. The next day, I woke up at 7am to check. My suspicions were correct. It set out for delivery. I quickly grabbed something to eat, got in my car, and parked right outside my house. Then I waited. And waited. And waited. I waited six hours in total until I finally see the post truck pulling over. I grabbed my phone to record and watch the mailman. He already had the notice of a missed delivery in his hand, slid it inside my mailbox, and just turned around. He hadn't even rung the doorbell. I got out of my car and said, Excuse me, what are you doing? He didn't even look at me and said, Just delivering packages, miss. Then I stood there as that butthole grabbed his phone to call me and quickly hung up. I smiled as I took my phone out of my pocket and sarcastically said, Oh, bummer, you didn't even give me time to reach for the phone. He literally turned white. Lol, he couldn't even speak. I continued, So, can you give me my package, please? He quickly opened the truck, almost tripped, and then took out my package. I said, See, wasn't that easier than your whole little scheme? He finally managed to say, Sorry, miss, and turned around and left. He probably thought that he got lucky that I didn't say anything else, but little did he know that I sent the video to the post office via email attached to my complaint. Well, let's just say that I have a new mailman. This one tries to leave one second after ringing the doorbell, but at least he rings. Down in the comments, we have this story from Damon Seed. They do the same thing here in Ontario, Canada. Not with the mail, but FedEx and UPS does that. Their MO is to just jump out the truck with a notice, toss it on the door, and drive away. I kinda did the same thing as you one day, OP. I plunked myself down on a chair just inside my tinted screen door with my laptop. And just as the delivery guy walked up the door with a slip, I dropped down the sliding window and said, That notice sure doesn't look like the package I ordered. 
He went back to his truck, grabbed my package, and came back saying absolutely nothing further. This still happens routinely, though especially on late day drops when the driver is looking to just end his shift and puts notices in the last couple of houses. So typically in the US we don't have this problem. Things get delivered pretty promptly. However, our issue is that sometimes people lob our packages onto our porch like they're trying out for the Olympic shot put team or something. Our next Reddit post is from StoryScaler. This incident happened in the summer of 2018. I played a small part, but the real star was my landlord. It's common in my country to have apartment buildings next to houses, with a yard and everything. I live in one such building with 10 apartments. There's two on each of the first four floors, one on the ground floor and one on the top floor. The top floor is used by the landlord when he and his family come for vacations. He lives abroad. The rest are rentals. We also have a small backyard with a side entrance. Next to the building is an empty lot, which also belongs to this landlord. We use the lot as private parking, with signs visibly saying that it's private. It takes 10 cars, one per apartment, and it has a side entrance. Also, I'm the longest tenant, so I'm the superintendent. My job was to be the liaison between the tenants and the landlord and communicate any problems and concerns to him. The problem started when the house across the street from us was sold. A lovely old lady used to live there, but when she passed away, the house fell on disarray, especially the yard. The new owners were Ken and Karen. They immediately began major renovations, which was fine. But they also started parking their cars in two of our empty spots. One spot that belonged to the landlord, and one for the lady on the ground floor who didn't have a car. At first, we would tell them they were reserved spots and they would move their cars. But when they noticed the spots remained empty, they parked there permanently. I had notified the landlord, and he told me to take pictures, log every incident, and always notify the police. So we started doing that every day. Ken was a hotshot local businessman, and every time we called the cops, he would cause a scene about us being jerks. He always received a fine, and he very blatantly proclaimed that he would not pay. The worst part came about a month before the landlord's annual visit. Ken and Karen had stopped using one of their cars, and permanently left it in front of the side entrance, blocking it. This was a huge issue. You see, the lady living on the ground floor was a renal dialysis patient, and three times a week she had to go for a session in the local hospital. The ambulance brought her back, and usually they parked right next to the side entrance because she was exhausted after each session. With Karen parking her car there, that was no longer doable. They wouldn't move their car even when the police was called. I notified our landlord and calmed down one of our tenants who wanted to slash their tires. Finally, our landlord arrives. I hand him the photos and the logs, and he calls Ken over. The landlord, Tony, calmly explained to him that they were not allowed to park in our spaces and to move the cars. Ken's response was, Who the hell do you think you are? I can park anywhere I want. Now, Ken thinks of himself as a big fish in our small town, but Tony is a big fish in a major foreign city. And Tony is very creative when someone pisses him off. He tells us to leave the spot next to the side entrance open for the weekend, and he'll take care of things. We do that, and Ken parks his car next to his wife's car. Sunday evening, a tow truck arrives, and it unloads an old junker car blocking off both of their cars. Monday morning, I get woken up by the buzzer, and I go downstairs to see Ken and Karen. They are both livid. They can't move either of their cars because of the junk car blocking them in. Tony joins me, all smiles. Ken sees Tony and blows a gasket. He starts shouting and cursing. Tony, still smiling, replies, I don't see a problem. 
My car is legally parked. What are you going to do about it? Ken angrily got into his car and reversed into the junker, crushing them both. Tony's smile suddenly looked like a shark smiling. He immediately called the cops and pressed charges against Ken. The Aftermath Tony had legally bought the junker from his cousin who owns a car repair and restoration shop. The car was actually a restoration project and it was insured. The court found Ken liable for the damage done. They also found that he was true to his word and hadn't paid any of the tickets. The fines for the tickets alone were almost 2,000 euros. Ken also leased both of his cars, and he got dropped immediately as a client for purposely causing an accident and damaging the leased car. And on top of all that, Tony sued him for damages. Ken eventually bought another car, but he learned his lesson and he hasn't parked in our spots ever since. Our next Reddit post is from Mikey Audrey Myers. When I was around 17, I started dating this 19-year-old guy, Jake. Also, the age of consent where I live is 16, so nothing illegal happened here. We got on well, spent a lot of time together, and cared for each other a lot. We even started talking about living together once we both moved out. We were a perfectly happy couple. Or so I thought. You see, after we'd been dating for a few months, something in Jake changed. He was getting a lot more distant. Whenever he was with me, he'd be checking his phone constantly. We stopped spending as much time together, and he started to get really funny about public affection regarding things like hand-holding and stuff. He also seemed to start caring less and less about my feelings. I used to have a bit of a thing for humiliation in the bedroom. Nothing too far, and we'd spoken about what Jake should and shouldn't say, but he started to get more and more degrading. He would tell me how no one would ever love me, and he would pick on my insecurities. I actually broke down crying a few times when this happened. To give him a bit of credit, the first few times this happened, he'd stop everything he was doing and apologize and cuddle with me until I felt better. But eventually, that stopped too, and he just began rolling his eyes and telling me to grow up. He was like a completely different person. His insults started to seep into our everyday life. He'd pick on my appearance, bring up my family, and bring up the fact that I slept around before we started dating. If I got upset, he would just leave the room and let me cry by myself. I started to feel like it was my fault that our relationship was falling apart. Maybe I just wasn't good enough for him. I knew deep down that he was cheating on me. And that was confirmed when I got a message from a guy named David on Facebook telling me that he'd been sleeping with Jake. He apologized profusely and told me that he broke things off with Jake as soon as he found out that he had a boyfriend. I couldn't be mad at David, it wasn't his fault. We spoke for hours and I reassured David that it wasn't his fault and that he'd done nothing wrong. David also helped me to stop making excuses for Jake's attitude and the way that he'd been acting. He was a godsend. The thing that truly broke me happened not too long after I discovered the cheating. We'd been arguing a hell of a lot more. Then, he decided to do something absolutely unforgivable. You see, I had a strained relationship with my father for years. My dad would cheat on my mother constantly, and eventually he settled down and had kids with a girl that he'd been seeing behind my mom's back. He did try to have some sort of relationship with me until I was about 13, and then he decided that he didn't love me as much as his other kids, and he stopped contacting me entirely. It broke me, and it still hurts to think about to this day. Anyway, Jake went out of his way to find one of my step-siblings online and slept with them. 
He bragged about it the next day, and my step-sibling actually posted online about what had happened, and I received a bunch of messages from their friends telling me how I deserved it. This was probably the lowest point in my life, and I hated myself. Partly for allowing it to happen, and partly because I'd started to believe what they were saying. My only solace during this time was David. We spoke for a few more weeks, and eventually our conversation turned to the topic of revenge. I had tried calling things off a couple of months earlier due to Jake's awful behavior, but he started with the apologies and telling me that he didn't mean it, that he'd never do it again. He even spoke to some of my family members, who unknowingly pressured me to get back together with him because you're such a sweet couple. I never told my family the real reason that we'd broken up, so I kept the details of our story pretty vague. Though, I'm pretty sure some of them had seen my step-siblings post, and they knew why I didn't want to be with him. After weeks of talking and planning, I'd finally had enough, and I decided to do something about it. My father wasn't exactly a rich man, but he worked a pretty well-paying job and earned enough money to live fairly comfortably. He had begun spreading rumors around when I was younger that he had set up a trust fund for me and that there was enough money there to get me set up in my own place when I was 18, plus a bit extra. I knew that was absolute BS. He tried to get out of paying child support all the time. Of course he would never set up a trust fund for me. However, Jake didn't know this. Jake and I never spoke about it a lot, but he'd heard the rumors, and I'd always just say what I told you folks. That my father was an appalling parent who hated paying my mother child support, so why the hell would he set up a trust fund for me? But Jake wouldn't listen. He even did his own research into the type of job my father worked and came up with an estimate of how much he thought my father was earning. I decided to use this to my advantage. Jake and I were still dating at this time, but I avoided him at any chance I got. Then, one night, I sat Jake down and told him that since I'd be turning 18 in a couple of weeks, I'd started thinking about getting our own place with the trust fund money my father had set up for me. He immediately cheered up at this, and honestly, I think that night was the first time in months that he'd said anything nice to me when we weren't in public with friends or family. This very nearly made me want to call the whole thing off. But I spoke with David later that night, and he reminded me that Jake would go back to his usual degrading attitude in no time. We started looking at places, and Jake was kind enough to let me have the final say and handle all the paperwork. I was a little surprised by this, to be honest, because I always thought that he would want his name on the paperwork so that I could never kick him out. But by this point, he'd slept with my step-sibling, degraded me, smashed my self-confidence to pieces, and cheated on me regularly. I think by now that he thought that I would never kick him out no matter what he did. Anyways, I started taking up extra shifts at work to try to save money to actually move out. Not with Jake though. Oh no. I was actually moving in with my friend, Emma. We found a cute little one-bedroom flat that was close to our college and work, and we started getting stuff to move in. I also didn't want to bring any trouble to my mother's door if Jake started kicking up a fuss. Emma had no issues with clawing Jake's face off if need be, and she told me not to worry about him coming to our front door. Then came the next part of the plan. I waited until a week or so before Jake and I were supposedly moving into our own flat, and I stole his phone for a few minutes. He had stopped caring about leaving his phone unattended, and he would sometimes flat out brag about how lucky he was to be able to sleep with whoever he wanted and come home to a little b who would make him dinner. So, that day when he went for a shower, he wasn't all too bothered about taking his phone with him. Perfect. I went onto his phone, and then I deleted my number from his contacts. 
Then I went to the entry of his mom's phone number and I changed his mom's name to my name. Pleased with myself, I went to the kitchen and smashed a plate. Then I left for work. I just did that to piss him off. And oh boy did he get pissed off. Jake's first reaction was to text me, calling me every disgusting name under the sun. Except it wasn't me that he texted, it was his mom. I texted his mom in advance, and I told her that I hoped that she would forgive me, but she had to see what her son was really like. She never tried to defend his behavior in the past, but she never knew just how bad he actually was. She'd actually called him out a couple of times where he'd slipped up and been harsh with me when she was there. His mom went apesh. I never found out exactly how their argument went, but she phoned him up to scream at him and call him out for his awful behavior finally seeing how horrible her son was. It didn't help that I had sent her screenshots of some of the times where he admitted to cheating. She was absolutely disgusted by her son's behavior, and she called me to apologize on Jake's behalf. It wasn't her fault, though. He's old enough to know how to act like a freaking adult. He wound up telling his mom that basically her opinion didn't matter and he was going to move in with me anyways. Needless to say, when he called me on Facebook, I took some satisfaction in telling him that we were not moving in together, that the trust fund wasn't real, and that I'd actually moved in with Emma. I was called every bad name under the sun. His voice sort of turned into white noise after a while. I told him we were over and hung up. Then I blocked him on everything. He had to run back to his mommy and daddy with his tail between his legs, and they took him back for a while. After a bit, the arguments became too much and his parents kicked him out. He stayed with a couple of his friends for a few months before he managed to get a place of his own. His parents, especially his mother, haven't been the same with him since. I still talk to his mom on occasion. Lastly, David and I took the liberty of sending screenshots of Jake's abuse to as many of the people that he'd been hooking up with as possible. We spent a couple sleepless nights trying to track people down on Facebook. Part of it was to get back at Jake. But most of it was just to make sure that none of them got roped into a full-on relationship with them, and they had to deal with all the stuff that I'd gone through. So there it is, my little story of pro-revenge. Man, OP, changing his mom's contact name to your name was a genius move. I've honestly never heard of anyone doing that before. I'm kind of sad that you had to destroy their relationship, because the mom sounds like a great person, but really, Jake deserved that one. That was r slash pro revenge, and if you like this content, you can sponsor my podcast to unlock extra episodes. Also, be sure to follow my podcast, because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.